Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. I'm Kim Greenhouse, and if you've been watching us, you know that we love ancient knowledge and new knowledge, and we love the integration of both, particularly in the modern day, at a time in human history where we're becoming like digital beings, and we're on our cell phones all the time, and we're constantly plugged into the internet. Many of us have lost our way, and we've forgotten some of the most important ancient practices and experiences. Today, I've invited one of my favorite people, Don May, who is the founder of Mayleaf in London, England. He has been in the tea business for over 20 years and whose family has been in the business for over 50 years. The man has tasted over a 1,000 teas a year. Now, I don't know, for those of you who drink wine and are wine connoisseurs, someone said they tasted a 1,000 wines. You'd probably want to meet them. I've been following his channel on YouTube for years I have never met anybody who exuded and transmitted so much passion and care and attention to detail as something with something so ancient that is available to us in the modern day. So many people buy their teas from local grocery stores. They put they put their tea bag in their in their cup and they think they're drinking tea. That is not what Don May is doing. Not only is he the founder of Mayleaf, a world-renowned tea brand in London, a tea house that you can go to if you're there, but he teaches you and teaches all of us and explains how teas are different and has tea sets, and you can be part of the entire process and enjoy your tea with Dawn. Tea Tea actually brings people together. I wish there were tea houses all over the world. I want to tell you a little bit more about him. he has a uh, he is the director of Acumedic, a Chinese medicine brand uh, that supplies medical services and supplies in the United Kingdom. He is the chairman of the Chinese Medical Institute and Register, a professional association whose purpose is to bring uh, basically the multi modalities uh, of uh, Chinese medicine and integrate it with health and wellness and medicine. He talks a lot about true tea. And sometimes you could think, well, is that a marketing thing? It's absolutely not a marketing thing. Uh, he feels it's the cream of specialty teas. He distinguishes between good and great tea. He could be found traveling the world, tasting teas from different suppliers. I hear, but I don't know. We're going to talk to him about it, that He doesn't pre-order a bunch of tea. He literally goes. He has tea connoisseurs and curators from around the world in a network that he's developed over the many years. And it is my divine pleasure, and I hope to meet him one day in London, to invite Don May to its rainmaking time. Thanks so much for being here, Don. It's an absolute pleasure, Kim. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I'm, I I'm hope what I exhausted. said is true or you're in trouble. I'm kind, of ex- I'm kind of exhausted listening to all the things that I'm meant to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> you better be doing it. I'm in big trouble with my credibility. Um, I, I think what is the first thing I wanted to ask you, and this has come to me over the many years just listening to wine connoisseurs, which is it's a perplexing question. How does one person not only taste the distinction between different teas, like some would between different wines, but you have so many, how do you have memory of the taste? 
How did you, is that a learned thing? I think first and foremost, taste is memory. It's one of the things that uh, is one of the remarkable things that you build up over your, um, your life is building up memories of tastes and associating those tastes with places, people, uh, environments, moments in your life. And I think that's what makes taste so very powerful uh, because it is so intrinsically linked with memory. And don't forget that taste, we talk about taste, but what we're really talking about is the combination of aroma and uh, flavor to create taste. And we know how linked uh, aroma is to your, your memory. So I think that we are all instinctively hardwired to um, use the senses of um, taste, aroma, flavor, to remind us of, first of all, what's good and what's bad, what, you know, what's healthy, what's not healthy, what we should avoid, what we should, uh, what we should consume. And from the, from the moment of birth, we are doing that. And so I think it's just a natural progression. And then when it comes down to making it something that's more of a career, it does require, uh, you know, it does require some focus. It does require some thought. It requires um, a little bit of um, reminding yourself and, and and training, but ultimately, I think it's it is part of our natural instinct to remember tastes. And I would think today, with what's happened to our food supply, the adulteration of food and liquid, and in, in just in terms of growing, that some mm. of that has gone away. Would you agree? Some of the ability yes, think- to taste has gone away. Well, I think that Some of what's happened. I think that what's happened is that you you can easily become um, overwhelmed by intensity of flavor and aroma. And I think what the 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 food companies um, have learned very well is how to maximize the sort of impact of a food and drink through relatively cheap processes, like just bunging a load of MSG in something or, you know, adding lots and lots of sugar to something, uh, flavorings, et cetera, et cetera. So what's happened is I think that we have become, uh, we are at risk of becoming uh, overwhelmed with so much strong flavor that when we taste things of subtlety, that when we take taste things where you have to dive, you have to sort of unpeel layers in order to reveal character. It's a process that becomes a little bit more alien than it should for us because of the fact that we are being overwhelmed by such strong flavors. Um, I am very much of the opinion that the way that you judge food and drink is goes beyond taste and, and it and it requires you to have uh, a a certain nuance and subtlety so that you can uh, unpack the character of the food that you're drinking or food that you're eating or, or, or the drink that you're drinking. Um, and I think that that's one of the, the key skills that you develop when you do tasting. It's not just about trying to, to come up with tasting notes, which is obviously a challenge in itself, but to go beyond that and have a very subjective response and an instinctive response to whether or not the character of that food and drink is something that is, um, well, what is it? And if, if it's something that you want to consume. Do you think that the, the concept of true tea 
can become uh, universalized for people to understand that the tea that they go often to the local market for, like I drink Persian tea too, Mm -hmm. but you know, you don't know what happens to it. You really don't know a lot of the Persian teas. You don't know what has happened to it from Iran, for example. I drink some green tea, but uh, and I love black tea. But you really don't often know. And I think there's a part of this in the actual practice of drinking tea and the way that you're sharing and showing people how to do it. Like a lot of people burn the water. They burn the tea, you know, with too hot of water. You don't know what happens from the from the supply side to the export side to your tea house and then where you ship from. So part of it is and part of the reason that I've been watching you for years is that I trust you with what you say you're doing and your love of tea. And and I think at some level the consumer who buys at some point needs to trust their supplier, their distributor. Do you agree or no? But still, how do you do that? Well, I think that you've got to separate things out. I think that it is very important that you have trust in your supply chain, that you um, do the due diligence as a supplier and as a consumer to understand what you've got in front of you. But it goes back to what we were talking about just before, which is you've got to train taste. Because when you train taste, you can spot things that you may not spot previously, but you can spot whether or not something has been made with care, attention, love. Um, and it really does boil down to intention. It's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. You can go into... Uh, um, you can go into a restaurant, you can you can consume food and drink. And if you if you focus on the uh, two things, I would say focus on the the character of the actual produce in terms of the, the the terroir and how it was grown. And you can you can taste that and you can also taste the human involvement. And I think the beautiful thing about tea is the synergy between nature and man which is which mm-hmm. is happening um similar to other products like potentially like honey or chocolate or coffee but that is a really interesting dance that's happening between the human being and the the plant and nature and if you develop taste you can start to relatively quickly surprisingly quickly you can start to pick up on things that are red flags that you go mm, that doesn't taste like it was made properly um, and I, I think that that's really what it boils down to. You've got to build up your taste because truly suppliers can say anything, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's great that you, you know, if you follow brands and you build trust and that's a good thing, but ultimately it does have to come back down to your own um, subjective sense of taste and diving deeper to try to un- uncover the overall quality of something and true tea as as a phrase is sort of a, a bit of a catchphrase but it basically means tea that's made with the the primary intention being to maximize the uh, experience that those leaves can bring to the brew and to the um to the drinker 
Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it have to be very expensive, you know, or like come from rare, you know, rare trees growing, you know, 3000 meters up, in, you know, up in the clouds. It doesn't have to be that. It could be something relatively simple, but it's the intention behind it that really makes that, that, that defines the difference between commodity tea and true tea. I want to ask you a very difficult question, and I don't, you know, some people may be mad at me for asking that, but one of the things that goes on with, you know, in the supply chain process, just I'm aware of it, from across the world when you ship things, particularly mm. food or, you know, is a lot of food is radiated and over-radiated, and sometimes it's radiated with each stop. Do you track that? Do you know what happens to the actual leaves that you bring in? Do you bring them in a certain way? or, And if they are radiated, what do you think about that? And how do you retain the beauty and the character of that tea? Um, so radiating tea is not something that, that really happens. Uh, it, the, the main concern with tea tends to be around pesticides. Uh, that that is the main concern that most people have around tea. Um, it's very important that you that you, as a supplier, build up trust in your supply chain. You know, it's also very easy to say, and it might be true for some brands that you go to every single farm and you inspect every single leaf that you know ends up in on you, your shelf, but. You know, that would be an impossible for, feat, right? Impossible. Yeah, for, for most, yeah. unless you have a very small range of teas, that's almost impossible. So there is a level of trust that you have to uh, build, and it's building trust. It's not just blindly accepting something. It's building trust. I like that know, distinction. With, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. you know, because and and there are some, you know, as a, the 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 longer that you're in the game, the more you can spot the the spot the clues that you might be being lied to some questions that you can ask that will sort of uncover a few things um but once you start to build trust um and you uh develop those relationships um then you usually are okay but in terms of pesticides the way that it works with us is that you know we we confirm um with all of the the, the producers you know uh, if they're using pesticides, preferably not. Um, in a few cases, it might happen, but then you want the list of what's going on. Um, and um, then it's, uh, it goes through um, testing. Um, and, and we will do spot testing uh, and sample testing. Um, and also once it, when it comes into the UK, they also do sample testing and spot testing. So between you know, the, the trust building, the conversations, the sampling, you hopefully build a pretty confident picture that you've got um, good stuff. But again, I just I'll say, you, you know, there's there's a certain taste that you can, you know, when you train the taste buds, you can really start to pick up um, when when leaves have not been treated well. Awesome. You in your site, you you write about the distinction between a lot of people want these organic teas and a lot of a lot of food suppliers and distributors um, have made that there sometimes there's arbitrary distinctions. Sometimes they really work. Sometimes they really don't. Sometimes they're more hyped to blow up the prices. But I, I wonder if you could explain to the public why, uh, you know, 
you don't need to have organic teas. Just just the thought of that. Explain that because I think that's important. Sure. Um, I get into a lot of trouble about this, but you know, I'll 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 dive in anyway because I. But by the way, it's also before. true with some food as well. Not, yeah, not just I mean, tea, listen, you know, and coffee. First of all, let's start with the premise that we all l- like the idea of organic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I do. You know, yeah. That's there, there's 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 not we're not against organic. I'm not against organic at right. all. Um, the majority of our teas, I would say, are grown organically, um, but they don't have the licensing certificate, and it's the licensing that is the main issue because that has become an industry. Um, right. And you know, for, for good reason. You know, you want to give consumers um, confidence, and so therefore, you know, there there needs to be uh, practices that are set out, and there needs to be organisations, and they need to make money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not against that, but when you have an ancient product like tea that has these very well revered, famous fields. Um, and uh, producers that are producing immaculate tea uh, using organic processes. And they are commanding huge prices for those, for for their harvests and their productions. There is literally zero incentive for those people to sign up and pay extra money for organic um, certification. There isn't any because the demand because is higher than the supply. Exactly. Right? They're They'll just go to somebody at, else. They're, they're selling it at the price that they want already. I mean, and it's being snapped up. It's being competed for by people like me, you know, and, and that's driving up the prices. And they're very happy about that. And it's all good because we recognize the quality of the tea. Um, the organic um, certification is useful for um, those who have, let's say, lower quality, medium or lower quality fields that want to increase their price and increase their desirability, especially on the foreign market. Perception, and yeah, s- perception as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And so there's an advantage, therefore, for converting a lower quality field into an organic field, getting the certification and selling it on as organic at a much higher price than you could have before. So. I mean, it's great that those fields have become organic. Nothing wrong with that. It just means that when you start to see organically certified teas, that is usually, and, and it is changing, thankfully, so it's it's moving in a better direction. But, but historically, that has meant to me that it's going to be lower quality tea. So actually, the reverse becomes true. That Understood. When I see organic, Un- it it yeah. kind of means lower quality tea. It's, yeah. it's kind of like that packaging. That's the nature of it. Yeah. It's to me, my background's in communication. It reminds me of a packaging element to produce more market share, to gain more market share. Uh, You know, but um, your your family's been in this business for 50 years. Can you share a little bit about your parents and your growing up years and what that was like for you in this business? Sure. So my father um, was from uh, Guangdong, from South China. He moved to Hong Kong when he was a little boy. um, And then he came to the UK um, to study. So he came to to the UK, I think he was around 17 years old. uh, And he came and he studied um, physics. And then he met my mother. (laughs) And then he met my my mother um, whilst traveling around Europe. And she uh, is from Switzerland. Uh, she moved to London and they they uh, 
got married and they started this business. And the business began as a bookshop, a books and arts shop that was related to East-West exchange. So oh, cultural exchange between East and West. And this was in the 1970s. So this was, you know, when China was sort of opening up a little bit to the West, especially after uh, Nixon's visit to China. Um, so dealing in books and arts, Chinese you know, philosophy, Chinese thoughts, etc. Um, then moved into Chinese medicine as the interest in Chinese medicine started to uh, uh, grow um, and then became a professional supplier of Chinese medicine books, translations, and we opened or they opened the first Chinese medical clinic in the UK called Acumedic. And so this Exciting. was in, yeah, sort of late 70s. And... Uh, I think acupuncture yeah. was taking hold too, becoming very popular, at least in yeah. LA it was, which is where I'm from. Exactly. So that was the time when interest was starting to grow. Uh, Nixon's visit to China revealed, a, a, I think there was a, a reporter who had acupuncture and it, it became news and people became interested. Anyway, um, so in the 80s, the family, as I was growing up, was running this um, acu acumedic, so um, Chinese medical clinic, and we were doing, uh, we were we were producing um, Chinese medicine products. My father actually invented the uh, disposable acupuncture needle in the oh really whenever wow. it was yes in the eighties didn't patent it so uh, which is why you know we're not as rich as we could have been but anyway that's okay uh, and um, and that continued to grow I was brought up in that environment. So brought up in the environment, first of all, with this constant discussion of bridging East and West, trying to make the translations between sort of Western, uh, Eastern knowledge and Eastern wisdom, um, making them, making that knowledge accessible and relevant to a Western audience. And uh, obviously brought up around Chinese medicine my whole life. And um, from a very young age, I was, Going to the conference has helped, you know, it was a family business, uh, it still is. And so you know, go, we would, the kids would tag along and I would, uh, I remember, you know, the age of 12 selling acupuncture needles to doctors, you know, uh, <laughs> very, very strange. You remind me of the Tony Robbins of tea, but in a quieter, more, uh, how do you say, understated, more uh, passion. I don't mean that as an insult. I, I mean that like the the way that you communicate your passion and the love of tea is palpable it's palpable and it's infectious that. it really is well it's really yeah. there's and as I, as you just heard it really is part of the sort of family mission if you if you like the bridging east and west uh, and and being brought up in london being born and brought up in london i consider myself a westerner but with this constant um uh, dialogue between my the way that I've been brought up and how that applies to the way that things are seen um, in the East. And uh, so I was brought up around all of that, had Chinese medicine, you know, as a kid. And then I went to university. I actually studied in the States. And uh, where? Where'd you go? I studied at NYU. Oh, wow. Okay. So I studied film at NYU. So I was more into the arts and uh, I came back to London and I was involved in the music industry for a while. 
and then I um, I was always in touch with the, what was happening with the business. I started to continue to uh, help out the business. Obviously, you know, reached a certain age, I was helping out as the as the eldest son in the family. Um, How many and, do you have? Uh, uh, si uh, siblings, uh, sisters, yeah, I have brothers? an older sister and a younger brother. Um, but as the eldest uh, boy, I was, you know, it was it was on my shoulders to um, to a little bit more of an emphasis for me to be involved in in the business, um, <clears throat> and so just started to um, work at the in in the business and was helping out in terms of trying to develop the the the, the clinic and all the rest of it, and then I basically stumbled into tea by accident. Um, I, I just figured tea is the first Chinese herb. So why don't we have better tea? Because the tea we had was the sort of bog standard jasmine green teas. Um, nothing particularly special. <clears throat> and I think I had a sense that there must be more than this, but I had no real sense of how much more there was. It was, it was a shock to me. Uh, and my father said, go learn tea and see what you can find. And, uh, and that was 20 years ago. And here we are. You went to China to learn tea? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I, I didn't spend longer than a few weeks at a time in China. Yeah. Um, but yes, I did go traveling quite a lot. And uh, with every journey, the the passion grew and the realization that this was not just me helping out the family business, but this was now part of your um, life now my life and mm -hmm. so I, I stopped the music career and moved in into tea and then my father passed away in 2014 so 10 years ago um and um i took charge of the whole business so and that's been a very educative process i'm learning sure. how to how to run how to 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 you know steer the ship and learn the deeper intricacies of of all of the wisdom um, that I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by. But, you know, as I said, it's about the translation. It's, it's, it's all very well repeating ideas from the East, but you've got to reframe them. And I think that the background that I've had and being, you know, brought up in the West has helped me to ask the same questions that uh, someone from the West would ask if I heard something and challenge it and then try to find answers. <clears throat> you, you, um, have you ever encountered um, a politic in the business side where a larger tea company or companies tried to stop you or get in the way or circumvent your ability to get supplies? You ever experienced that? No, not really. I mean, you know, the the supply chains that we use are very different from the commodity the, from the big commodity tea companies. Um, for for obvious reasons, they've got to have much higher yield, um, and therefore, because they have much higher yield, they have to usually purchase from multiple places and blend. And so, and they also need to purchase from big uh, export companies that have licenses to export that quantity of tea, and so the actual you know sources that that they get their tea from is ve are very different from the sources that we get our tea from so we get our teas from either direct from the farm or from provincial wholesalers so you know every 
every tea has a has a famous area where you know it it tends to be the birthplace of that tea and so you'll have little villages and you'll have provincial um scouts and wholesalers that will go to the local farms and buy up their teas and it'll usually be sold on to the very high end uh, tea shops uh domestically in China or in Japan or wherever it might be and so those are the people that we tend to purchase from or we go direct so it's very different um a very different supply chain so we don't we tend not to step on each other's toes too much i would assume you were in different markets though too i think that, that yeah we are in different markets right? so there's yeah. it's it's not really we're not really competing that much albeit i am trying to encourage people to you know to move away from commodity tea and and more towards specialty tea um i think the only thing that does pose a little bit of an issue sometimes is that um when you're dealing with law when you're dealing with uh importing teas a lot of uh times the laws are set up around the the, the big large corporations suppliers. yeah and so you have to jump through the same hoops that are expected of them but obviously at much lower budgets so it's a that can be a bit of a, a challenge with all of the paperwork and bureaucracy that you need to do i would imagine when when on your website um you had written somewhere that you do not pre-purchase teas explain that part i didn't really understand that. i i had an essence understanding but how does that translate to the end user to the consumer well <clears throat> so the 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 life of a tea buyer would be much easier if you find a supply chain that you like and then you stick to it <clears throat> because it just means that you don't have to do all the work every year in sampling and finding new teas but the nature of tea just like the nature of most natural products is that every year it changes and so therefore you have varying qualities every single year and so there's i'm doing a disservice to my to my clients if i guarantee to a a farmer or a a wholesaler that i'm going to be buying from them every year some people do because it's it it sort of solidifies it gives stability it solidifies the supply chain you know exactly what you're getting every year but i find that that's not the way that i like to work because for me the, the the my job is a curator my job is not really just about supply chain it's about tasting and finding the most interesting intriguing characterful teas of any particular season in any particular area and that changes every single year and so um so i can't i can't do pre-buying it would it would not work uh for my clients i think that that's that's the value that i see my see myself adding to you know the the tea journey of our of our our clients is that mm-hmm. i i have to taste the thousand teas so they don't have to you know i God taste help the thousand, us a thousand teas man that's <clears throat> incredible <laughs> it is it is yeah, we we you know it come uh, march april um it is manic here we taste something in the region of about 60 to 70 teas a day and it's 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 full on um at that point um so yes it is it is hard work but that's really how i see the the the, the value that we offer 
as met for, for, for May Leaf. Is- That's totally different than anybody on the planet. We, I, I interviewed James Norwood Pratt mm. uh, years ago before I went to live in Europe and um, loved his work and all that. And he's kind of a tea connoisseur, American tea connoisseur, but very different than what you're doing and what you have been doing and the kind of um, – uh, the primary contribution that you're making by doing it the way you're doing it. So you're an initiated tea connoisseur and curator. In other words, um, you're, in a, you're in it every year organically, every year. Yeah. And that yeah. must be not only a challenge, I, I don't even know how you do it, plus run the business, plus chi- uh, you know run the centers mm-hmm. that you do, the medical centers that you do and the association that you do. I know you have great people working with you and alongside you. How has the tea, uh, the tea house in London changed in the last three years since COVID? Um, since COVID, well, yeah. thankfully, it's 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 sort of returned back to normal. Um, Thank God. Uh, did you stay Obviously, open, by the way, for people that wanted to still sit with other people, or did London require you to shut down? Uh, London required um, most of us to shut down. I, I wow. we had the advantage that we our tea house is connected to a, a medical clinic, Acumedic, so okay. we were allowed to stay open as a medical clinic. As a medical clinic, um, so people that were desperate to get tea could sort of come by, and we could. <laughs> them a pack um but um but yeah the tea house was was closed um so did you yes, travel during that time or no were you able <clears throat> to travel or not really no 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 it was a, yeah. it was a complete yeah. a complete lockdown um and uh that was frustrating obviously but sure you know, we, we we've all we've all we've all experienced that uh roller coaster um and obviously supply wise it was an absolute nightmare um, because of all of the, the the big shipping companies making huge huge sums of money, um, because yeah. everyone was desperate to to get goods and uh, and shipping containers were at so they could premium. do whatever they wanted basically. They could, and I think that something like you know um, Maersk, I think made in the in this in six months of twenty twenty made the same amount of money that they made in the previous five years or something. It was it was it was insane. The, the charges that were being um, imposed. Um, so yes, but there was a were lot. Of, you, were you worried you were going to go? Were you <clears> worried, Don, that you may have to go out of business as a tea house? Yeah, yeah. The I rents are we, huge in London. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we we were definitely. I mean, you know, we we it was it was we were it was battle stations. It was emergency situation. We were we were trying to make sure we were staying afloat, working with the 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 staff that we had the government schemes that were in place trying to you know uh, speak to our landlords uh, to try to to get some some relief so there, it was it was a very stressful time um and wow. that plus the fact that there was very um it was hard to get the tea in the advantage that we had um over other tea houses of course is that we had already developed and built up our online uh, brand and so we could sell online uh, we were selling online and so you know our our online sales increased, uh, but yeah, it was it was a difficult time. And the tea house, I, I would say, it's only been in the last I would say year or so that we feel like okay, the tea house is back to pre-COVID. 
but um, and mm-hmm. it's great. It's 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 lovely. We're now doing events again. We've actually got an event tomorrow where we do tea after dark, which is our sort of tea drunken lock in, where we we shut the doors and people turn up at like eight o'clock and. And they stay until one in the morning drinking teas with us. I love so, it. You know, I doing all of those things again that we were doing before. But it's it's only recently um, been something that I think is something that we could do and people feel comfortable doing. So, um, yeah, it's 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 back. The tea house is is actually doing really well. And um, and we're just trying to constantly, you know, reinvigorate and try to think of new new ways to excite, uh, excite people with with our offerings on the menu. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's fun. The tea house I see is more like, um, an experimental testing area. You know, it's a place where we, we've got a lot of very seasoned tea drinkers that come there so we can try out different things and, you know, and introduce different That's so exciting. And, oh my God. I, yeah. I love what you're doing. I actually wish there were tea houses all over America. I really do. It it's would be, it would, it do. would. I know, but you know, I mean, just for people to sit, to converse, to taste, to go through the process, there's something very calming about it. I love the products that you're selling, by the way, and that you're making available to the public. And they've expanded over the years, I've noticed tremendously. I don't even know where I am. I'm so lost when I go to your shop. I know, it's getting too much. There's so much there, you know, it used to be a little simpler, right? A little simpler. I know, you know? <laughs> it's, that's the problem when you're involved in it every year and you're fi- and you're tasting thousands of teas is that you 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 end up falling in love with with so many different teas that you can't you can't stop yourself from buying them. Um, I'm constantly being told by by my wife like stop buying so many like <laughs> you know when you're in love with something you're in love with something you just you, you want to totally share understand. it you want to share it with the world. Um, but yes, it is. Um, it's it's a very difficult thing uh, running a tea house that is very tea centric. It's easier when there's, uh, you know, when food is, let's say, Involved. more of the spotlight because you can obviously uh, have a higher average transaction value for 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 people coming in. Especially as do you, you have said, anything people, with the tea that is available to people? We do. We offer snacks, but the snacks okay. are um, the tea is the, the tea is the, the star. tea is the, the key. Snack, the, yeah, the, right. the, the snacks support and complement the tea, not the other way around. So, you know, we we see ourselves very much as this is a place to taste teas and we give you some snacks to, you know, allay hunger and help to maybe there's some interesting pairings. So we have we have that and we're developing more, but uh, really is about the tea. But, you know, when when people come to drink tea, as you said yourself correctly, Absolutely. Tea is about sitting and enjoying the time and the space that tea affords. It's not a takeaway drink. Uh, and therefore, you know, the business model is very, very different. And the reason why Starbucks, I think, um, failed with their Tivana um, tea houses, which they tried to open up um, a few years ago, is that you can't take that takeaway uh model and apply it to tea that they just don't they don't mix i mean some people will have takeaway but for the most part tea is a ritual of 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 holding space and 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 finding that present moment either by yourself or um sharing it with others and therefore bums are on seats for a longer period of time and therefore how do you you know how do you pay your rent 
uh, when all that they're doing is buying tea. So it's a very difficult thing to do. And so I understand why there aren't more tea houses out there, even though it is a shame and it would be um, it would be great if there were. Maybe it would be cool to have a membership to the tea house at a certain point where people could come. It's almost it's a it's a it's an open space, but maybe at some point it would be nice to have a membership so that no matter what, you know, people could come. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's not I'm sure it's not in your in the makeup right now in terms of, you know, what really what you want to do because you want it open to everybody and that's part of the consciousness of it. It's, this is about consciousness as much as it is about everything else. Do you find that it's a good place for people to meet other people as well? Because a lot of people go to restaurants and cafes to meet other people in a social milieu, in in a cultural location, Mm. and they bump into each other and they meet each other. They go to bars for those kind of things. It's not a bar. But how is it set up? Is it set up where people talk to each other or they only typically come in with the people they're with and that's their experience or both? Oh no, it's it's an extremely social environment. <laughs> it's it's amazing, you know. It's it's funny because I I I we sometimes laugh that we don't need to really train our staff because people will ask questions and somebody sitting there go, "Oh, I tried that tea and did it," and they'll start talking and recommending, "Oh, you should try this one." And we can just sit back and let, you know, the consumers basically uh talk amongst themselves. Um uh, no, it's 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 very social, it's very friendly. Um there's a lot of communication and talk um, between tables. A lot of people actually bring dates there um, because you know it, cool. there's something very there's it's it's something really lovely to to sit and share and drink, but not alcohol. You know, and yes, and, yeah, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing, um, and also the the ritual of preparation because we don't. We don't make, you've never visited, so you wouldn't know, but we don't make tea at our tea house. We ask the customers to make their own tea. So we provide them with all of the setup and they have to brew themselves. That's part of the deal. Um, I love so it. You brew yourself. So, and that means that there's a, an action and an activity that's shared that people are watching. And so it's a very hands-on interactive um uh, space and place for for communication and and uh for learning and uh i think that there's a certain sort of mentality that that automatically happens when you walk into a tea house and are drinking tea that's very conducive to um really good c- communication and conversation it sounds like it's it's phenomenal i when i go to england again i really want to come there and experience it because it's a it really it is a one of a kind of what it is, what you're offering, what happens there. Also, yeah, I do think we all, are the only yeah. place that offers Gong Fu Brewing uh, um, in London that, or in the UK that I'm aware of. There might be others, but the the act of sitting and brewing your own tea is a, a little bit was a was a bit of a wild a wild decision, but but we're thankful that we took it. Explain to the audience what Gong Fu Brewing is. Yeah, Gong Fu Brewing is a style of brewing that uh, was developed um, in the 1700s in, in South China. And basically, it's just a way of brewing to maximize the the uh, experience of the tea. And uh, the way that uh, you brew with Gong Fu style is a very large leaf to water ratio. So you have small containers, so small pots, small cups, um, but then you stuff them, what, what you fill them sort of <laughs> uh, halfway with leaves so a lot of leaves and you brew for short infusions over 
many, um, many uh, infusions. So therefore you're brewing maybe 10 to 30 seconds, but you're brewing maybe seven to 20 times the same leaves. And so it's a, a way of tasting to really get to understand the character of the tea, to to make the most rich and flavorful brews that have the highest amount of effect on you as well, because let's not forget that tea is a medicine. Um, but um, that means that you, that there's also a practice and Gong Fu is, you know, basically it means any practice or activity that requires skill and discipline and learning. And so Gong Fu brewing is just a way of developing that practice um, some people call it tea ceremony, but I don't like that because it's sort of, it, it turns it into something else. It, it sort of makes it, it sort of, um, takes it out of the everyday. It, it is an everyday way of brewing tea, but done with care, attention in order to focus on the brew in order to, to really, uh, bring out the best of the leaves and to taste the tea properly. And as I said, to get the most, um, most effect out of it as well. I like that you make the distinction. You also made it on your website, which was going to be my next question, but you already addressed it. The distinction between a ceremony and a ritual, because tea is a ritual. This is a ritual. It's a practice, right? And it's uh, not, not only a social experience, but it's a daily social experience. Am I correct? Did I get it? Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, I think that one of the things that people like myself have to try to check ourselves on is not to try to make tea something that is so specialty that people feel that they can't get involved because at its heart, tea is leaf, water, and you, that's it. Right. Uh, at like its that. heart, it is incredibly <laughs> simple. It is an incredibly simple thing. You could make the best tea with a bowl and some hot water. You know, you don't need all the paraphernalia. You don't need, you know, to be in a particular environment, dress in a particular way with the most expensive teaware in front of you. But that comes usually because as you build your love of this of this incredible leaf and you build your love of, of tea culture and you start to build personal attachments to this ritual, you it starts to become ritualized for you in whatever way that might be. Um, it might be that you start just having a matcha latte in the morning and then it moves from there, but it could be anywhere. It could be any, any entry point. However that develops, it usually develops and it usually becomes a rabbit hole that you can't help but fall, fall down. Um, and then, you know, naturally the teaware starts to become a little bit more intricate and everything, the, you know, the way that you brew becomes a little bit more considered um, but the most important thing to, I think, get across is you don't have to start by knowing everything, right? In fact, we never will. I mean, I'm still learning after 20 years. So the most important thing is just get yourself some good leaves, get yourself some decent water and start tasting. And from there, the ritual will, will start to become something that you will make your own. Very exciting. I noticed the list of products that you can buy that are uh, not the tea, but the actual the pouring devices, the mm -hmm. all of the all of the um, the canisters, the cups, the teapots, um, 
that's very involved now. You have a lot of products, a lot of products. Do you have you put together? Are you still providing the products for the beginner? I think you yes. put a package together a few years back. You had yeah, a package for the we, beginner where you, you were communicating. That's still available too. Yeah, I mean, we've got um, everything for you to start going through brewing. You know, very cheap like really affordable, like the, the we've got our Gong Fu Solo is essentially a small guy one, which is like a lidded bowl to brew in and a cup. I think it's less than $15 or something and you, you can, you can brew. Um, so yes, we've got, all, we've got, we've got the, the most simple setups available. Um, and as I said, you know, it, 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 you don't have to dive into the expensive stuff. I mean, yes, we've got pots that are a thousand, you know, a thousand dollars. But you know, I thought I was an emperor when I went on that part of the site. I was like, Emperor Greenhouse, I'll take that thousand dollar pot. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, but, you know, so yeah. you know, it's I mean, a I whole like range. that you're saying, sure, yeah. Uh, I would like to leave the audience also with something about their day to day until they can get your teas and your products. In terms of heating tea, the distinction between heating it and burning it, do you have a suggestion and temperature? Are you talking about water temperature? Yes, yes. I mean, it's very – every tea can be brewed in the, – the wonderful thing about tea, and for some people the frustrating thing about tea, is that uh, unlike other products like wine – where obviously, you know, how you pour it, et cetera, is going to make some difference if you if you decant it. But but ultimately, the act of making tea is one of the most involved, can be one of the most involved acts because you've got you've got a, a multitude of parameters that you are playing with. You've got the leaf to water ratio, you've got the length of time, you've got the type of water, you've got the temperature of the water, you've got the material that you're brewing in, blah, 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 blah. The list is is very, very long. I've seen it. Um <laughs> And so, yes. And so, you, you know, it can be a bit overwhelming for people. And so I like to just strip it back and say, look, you know, the whole point of, 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 of brewing is that you make mistakes or you, you, you adapt. So if you don't like the taste of a tea, you adapt and you change the, uh, the way that you brew. And that's the beautiful thing about brewing. As I said, tea requires three things, leaf, water, and you, the brewer is part of it. You are an active part of the product itself. I love it. And when it comes down to uh, water temperature, water temperature is a very, very important parameter because what it does is it um, changes the rate of extraction. And what that means is, um, to, to, to put it relatively simply, um, you can imagine that the leaf has got a multitude of compounds that, it, that can extract into your tea. Um, and so some of them are bitter, some of them are sweet, some of them are uh, umami and have savory notes, some of them, you know, have uh, more floral notes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, the uh, and they all extract at different rates. And if you use very, very hot water, um, then you're going to ex you're going to extract quicker. That means you've got less room for error in terms of developing what balance of compounds you want to end up in your cup. So it's actually not true to say that you're burning the leaf. What you're doing actually is taking leaves and you're extracting them very, very quickly. And so in the case, for example, of green teas, which is the, the common example used in, in these cases, 
Green teas have very high levels of uh, catechins, and catechins are antioxidants, very good for you, but also quite bitter. And right. therefore, um, and they, they don't extract very quickly unless you use boiling water. And so, and so therefore, if you use boiling water on green tea, then you are going to be extracting those catechins at a fairly quick rate. Now, that's no problem if you like bitter teas. Some people really love bitter tea. So it's about adapting to your taste. But if you are, if you want a more gentle brew, if you want something that is a little bit softer in terms of um, the, the, the taste and attenuation of the bitterness, then it's advisable that you use cooler temperatures. So the, the basic rule of thumb that I would say is if the leaf is green, use something like 80 to 90 degree, which is like about 175 to sort of 195 Fahrenheit water, and you'll be okay. If you brew hotter than that, it's fine, but you'll probably get more bitterness coming out into the brew. Um, I would also say that for um, small leaf, so if the leaf is smaller, that will again extract quicker. So you might want to go slightly cooler. Maybe, you know, it doesn't matter what, which tea, tea type it is, but if it's smaller, I wouldn't use boiling water necessarily at the beginning, at the beginning, but all other teas you can brew boy with, with, with very, very hot water, boiling water. When, when somebody buys your teas that you've curated, do you have a suggestion per tea where to start in terms of the water temperature? Yeah. Yes, we've got all of our teas have have our brewing guidelines on the packaging. Uh, but I I emphasize continuously that that's just a starting point, as you said. Like that's not it's 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 just a, a place for you to begin experimenting because really you know, brewing should be part of your, I mean, it's one of the things that makes tea so mindful. It's one of the teas that brings you in, it's one of the, the reasons why tea drinking brings you into the moment is it does require some focus. Uh, and if you brew absentmindedly or you taste absentmindedly, you're not going to get the full experience of the tea. And it's, that's, that's the sort of antithesis of what Gong Fu brewing is about, that sort of mindful brewing, that disciplined and practiced approach. Uh, and so uh, it's very important that you experiment. It's very important that you get involved. And that's why we, we, we're really um, adamant that people should brew their own tea when they come to the tea house, because we want you to mess it up. We want you to take the tea and, you know, make it too bit and go, oh, that, that wasn't <laughs> right. And then, you know, go, oh, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to, what happens if I brew it cooler for longer? Or what happens if I, you know, have a very short infusion, very hot, and you start to develop your own preferences to the way that you brew. This reminds me of uh, uh, conscious meditation. It, it's, you know, as you describe it, the, the act of brewing your own tea is it slows you down get you to focus and stay in the present moment. And that's another thing that's very needed today for those of us and most of us that are digitalized humans. I mean, constantly on everything but the present, you know. Absolutely. Um, and that, that is the, that's the key thing that I think is what uh, a lot of people who get into tea don't realize this incredible meditation hack that that tea provides um but once 
they start brewing in this way and they start to drink in this way, it's so instant and so effortless that it it's 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 a it's a bit of a revelation for them, uh, and it's what what keeps people uh, sucked in. Apart from the 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 taste and you know and all the other side of it, it's that that therapeutic moment in the day that um that echoes out throughout the rest of the day you know when you have your tea session afterwards everything is easier it's that that one moment it's that stopping it's that taking time it's that giving the reverence for your for yourself indulging in something that's healthy which is not those two words don't normally go together very often so it's sure. it's a healthy indulgence that also is a is an effortless way of training yourself to be more mindful, mindless, whichever way, you know, empty mind or full mind, but but being very, very present and working on um non-judgmental observation as well. You know, like you're you're observing the leaves, you're you're seeing this this incredible journey from 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 dry to almost like a rebirth back to its freshness because you're rehydrating it and then you're extracting it until it no longer has anything to give. And it, it has this beautiful arc and trajectory, a session of Gongfu tea that it, it sort of is, is con, it, it just creates an, um, an almost unconscious analogy to life that is a, a beautiful thing and, and, and leads you to an acceptance of, Lots of things like transience and impermanence. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it touches upon so many things that I think are very valuable um, in day-to-day -day life. One of my teachers who passed away a few years ago was Thich Nhat Hanh. And one of the things I used to love when I would attend sessions with him or watch him online is his tea ritual of pouring the tea, slowly sipping the tea, being mindful with the tea, and it's pretty profound. It's very, very profound. And, and I imagine that the process initiates everybody into that. You have the revelation of consciousness, but you have the initiation of being present and focusing right there. Without having to think about being present, you have to focus, which allows you into the, into the presence of the now. Very nice. Absolutely, yeah. Did, it is. It's, how, it's, 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 it's a fabulous part of, of of tea culture. How does your wife handle the uh, the whole passion of yours, the uh, the responsibility of being in the business, several businesses? How does she How does she receive and deal with just the complexity of it? Well, I'm very lucky because uh, first of all, I met my wife through tea. So she's a she's Fabulous. an avid uh, an avid tea drinker. So you know she shares the passion. So I think that 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 instantly makes everything much easier because we we taste teas together all the time. That's still our favorite thing to do is to to sit and drink tea despite the fact that it is work. Um, it is uh, it is joy first and foremost. So um, yeah, I think uh, I'm very lucky in that, and uh, we we. We uh, work together a lot. I mean, you know, I consider, as I said, this is a family business and she's part of the family now. And this is this is uh, she's part of the family business. Um, obviously, doing 
as much as I do and working with as many brands that I'm working with, you know, time is, uh, is precious. Yeah. And I'm very busy. Um, and I think that, uh, I'm sure if you spoke to her, she would say that the one thing that she would uh, be wanting me to do is to, is to slow Spend down a little time. bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, you know, it's, it's so difficult. I mean, I, I work from home. Um, so, you know, I'm, and I have a little girl, so I'm, you know, I'm constantly around, but you know, there's a difference between, between being around and being and there, being you know? There. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, and, uh, and we're the surrounded juggling by act. our work. Yeah. Yeah. And we're surrounded by our work, you know, uh, because, you know, there's, uh, I literally, I, I'm looking right now at my, I've got boxes and boxes <laughs> of samples well, around. I just, right? I, I had to ask because I think it's a, a huge blessing for you that you have calling and passion that you share with your wife and that, that, that tea actually brought you together. And so she grocks it. She gets it. She's in it. Yeah. You're together in it. And, you're not isolated. And there are a lot of people that have passion and calling that are very isolated and don't have it. So that's a great blessing and a great story, Absolutely. by the way. hundred percent. And great I think story. that one of the, one of the, um, one of the things that I was told by my accountant when my father passed away was, you know, the first meeting afterwards, it was a very sudden passing. So it was, we were all in a bit of shock and he's like, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I'm going to take over, uh, I guess I, you know, and, you know, the first thing he said to me is, you know, being in that position, it can be a very lonely place. Um, and it, it stuck with me. And so I'm very lucky that I do have um, my wife and my mother um, who are still, you know, um, you know, who are helping me uh, to to and, and share the passion and, and the and the vision um, to to move things forward. It's great. It's been a great pleasure to have you on It's Rainmaking Time. And I've watched you for so many years and I've wanted to have you on for so many years. But, you know, sometimes life happens. I, I didn't drink enough tea. <laughs> <laughs> but for <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to find out more about uh, Don May's work, you can go to mayleaf.com, M-E-I-L-E-A-F.com. And there you can see the teas and is it Tassans? Am I saying that right? Yeah. That he has available, the tea wear, the gift sets, and uh, learn more about him. And also you have a YouTube channel as well, right, Don? Yeah. So if you just search Mayleaf, M-E-I-L-E-A-F, on YouTube, you'll find us. And for those of you, thank you so much for tuning into It's Rainmaking Time. If there's any shows you wish to sponsor, if uh, there are suggestions for guests that you think are interesting and making a huge difference, like Dawn in this world of digitization, please let us know. And you can reach us at itsrainmakingtime.com or ch. And we thank you very much, Dawn. It's Rainmaking Time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs>